On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about the Grey Cup, but not the game. We're talking about whether or not the city should be negotiating with the dollar amounts that it will be spending to bring the Grey Cup here out in public. Should this be transparent? Should you, the citizens, know what the city is spending on the negotiations? Or should that not be the case? Because that's not usually how it's been done. A few councillors want that to change. We'll talk to one of them. We're going to be talking about the climate conference in Glasgow. Not about fixing the climate. That's that's a reasonable thing to talk about, the climate. It's how many people the Canadian delegation included. I thought we were not supposed to be flying on planes and doing all this kind of stuff as much. Apparently, we are elite anyway. Our government, our bureaucrats don't necessarily qualify for those kind of things we're supposed to do. And Bubba O'Neill joins us to talk about all kinds of stuff in the world of sports. We've got so many things. We need four hours, but he'll be here for 20 minutes or 15. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. We know the Grey Cup is coming to Hamilton next month, December 12th. It will be played here. We also know that it's coming here in 2023 largely because the CFL looked at this year and said, Hamilton, you've got all these plans. You can't do the things you wanted to do because of COVID. So you know what? Rather than having all this wasted, let's put into play two years from now all the things you wanted to do. We can still have a game here, still have a festival of sorts, but it's going to be much, much bigger in 2023. Anyway, a lot of people excited about that, but there are other issues with this. And one of them has been brought up by a number of city councillors who are saying, well, the city is going to have to put some cost into this, but those costs are being kept secret until after the deals are in place, after the deals are locked in. So we don't really know what this is going to cost the city of Hamilton until it's too late to not cost the city of Hamilton this much money. Hmm. John Paul Danko, Ward 8 Counselor, is one of those who has raised this as an issue. He joins us now. Counselor Danko, thanks for the time today. Thanks for having me on. I'm guessing you're not going to tell us how much it is that we're exactly talking about at this point. I can't tell you that because that would be an in-camera discussion, and that's kind of the crux of the issue. Okay, but... And I acknowledge that, and I, you know, I thought I'd throw it out there, and I didn't want to get you kicked off council or anything, but nonetheless. Uh, but the fact that you've raised this issue even though you can't say how much it is, suggests that it's not an inconsequential amount of money. If this was a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks or 10,000 bucks, probably it doesn't get raised. Yeah. And, and it's not just the Grey Cup. It's, it's all kind of major events that uh, we host as a city. There is a, a cost to that to taxpayers. So there is an in-kind cost. So that's things like road closures or policing, transit, uh, planning with our, our staff and the use of city facilities. So those are, you know, things that we would donate to uh, host the event as a city, which has a cost. And then there's also direct cash uh, costs that, that would be taxpayers' dollars that are um, spent on hosting fees and direct costs to, to have the event here. So, again, not just Grey Cup, it's all major events have this kind of um, cost to taxpayers. And, you know, I'm not concerned about uh, the value of the events. I think that's not, uh, you know, what's being debated. I'm really looking forward to the Grey Cup. I know it's going to be a fantastic event. I know people uh, across the city are, are, are really excited to have it here and the 2023 Grey Cup, which is just, just fantastic. Um, but as, as this is public money, there should be uh, some public discussion about 
how we want to invest that money. I want to get into that in a second, but just back quickly to something you just said before I forget about the benefit on Twitter today, on social media, some interpretations of what you have said, raising concerns about this have been pivoted to say, look, this is, you know, there's no value to this really. It's a fun thing, but that's about it. Do you believe that there, even if we can define it or not, do you believe there is spinoff value to the city of Hamilton to hold events like this? Oh, absolutely. No question. Um, you know, large events for a city of Hamilton size is part of what makes living here so, you know, such a great thing. That's why people live in cities is because there's, you know, stuff to do. Um, and then there's also the intangible benefits of major events like this. You know, people still talk about the Pink Floyd concert at, uh, at Ivor Wynn. Um, you know, I was, I was personally at the, uh, the 87 Canada Cup finals at Cops. I was at the 86 uh, two-game total points series against the Argos, um, both at Exhibition Stadium and at Iverwind. And, uh, you know, just this past weekend, we were at an event together at uh, William Connell Park for the grand opening for Russ Jackson Field. And it's amazing the, the memories and the value that sports and major events have to, you know, our civic pride and also, you know, again, just the, the, the vibrancy of a community. So, there's no question that there is an intrinsic value to hosting events like this that go far beyond just the financial uh, costs and benefit uh, analysis. So just to be clear, your argument is not that the city should not be spending any money here. It's that we should know how much the city is spending publicly. Exactly. These are public tax dollars that are being invested to host these events. And I think as part of any investment, it doesn't matter what it is, any investment of public tax dollars should have a public discussion about how it's invested. One thing just dawned on me as I was thinking about this, the story that I read said the figure will be released after the city firms up the contract to host the December 12th game. Do we not have a contract to host the Grey Cup in a month already? That, that seems very late if we don't have one. Uh, it is being finalized as we speak. Theoretically, then, the CF, and they're not going to, but theoretically, the Grey, they could take the Grey Cup and put it somewhere else. It's not going to happen. But again, it seems very late to be wrapping up a, a negotiation for, to host a game. I think specifically for this year's Grey Cup, uh, you know, the, with COVID and, and the um, capacity restrictions and everything else that, that's going on, it's been, I would say, unusually complicated. Okay. So let's go back to this issue then. Those who would say, and some counselors have said this, uh, that, that this should be done behind the scenes or quietly, that eventually the cost will come out, but that it should be done uh, quietly would say that if you announce what we're going to spend or what is in the negotiation, it would weaken the city's bargaining position, would it? Well, historically, the amount that we're putting in as, as, a, as, a public, uh, as public tax dollars is never released. Um, and that's part of the contract for a lot of these event organizers is that you are, you, as the municipality, you're not even allowed to tell, uh, to say publicly how much you're spending because they want to maintain a blind bidding system. So even after, even, even after, after it's done. Okay. Yeah. So the fact that the Grey Cup uh, costs and the PGA, the Canadian Open costs will be released after the fact that was something that this council insisted on uh, just recently, um, but that's not the norm uh, for a lot of these events. So the, the, perp the reason that they, the organizers want that is because they, they come to the table and say, okay, we have this event, 
if you want to host it, you need to pay us and you need to bid on hosting. And then you have, you know, all these municipalities which are bidding against each other, but we don't know what the other municipalities are spending. In a lot of cases, we never know. So it's like blind bidding in real estate. It just drives the prices up. And then, you know, as, as a municipality, when we're spending tax dollars, we don't know if, if we have overspent or underspent or if we're getting a good deal or not. And I, I think that's part of the problem that the organizers have kind of perpetuated over the years because it's, it's good for them. They get the best return, but it, it's definitely not the best system for uh, cities when we're investing tax money. Okay. And, and, and that makes sense. What you just said, the, the, I guess the challenge with that would be if other cities are not doing what you're proposing to do and Hamilton comes out and says, we're willing to spend X dollars. Could we not, because to host the country music awards or the Grey cup or the Canadian open or whatever, could other cities not come up and say, Hey, we'll do more than that. Come here and not pluck these events away from us. It's possible, uh, but that's where we would ha- be able to have a public debate over the value of these these events. So if we are publicly know what the amounts that we're prepared to invest is, then we can have that discussion of like, yeah, that is a great investment. This is a great event, and it's going to have all this kind of economic spinoff. Um, but the fact that that's not even going to be known, in a lot of cases it's never known, but in, in the, the case of the events we're talking about, it will be known after the fact. You can't have that discussion up front. If this was done again in the open, like you are suggesting, and and look, I I believe that there are a large number of people who would agree with you. Uh, But if you were to do this in the open, would you and other counselors not be under immense pressure from people who don't see value in these things? There's people who don't like football, don't care for football, don't think the Grey Cup is worth spending a dime on, or or the golf tournaments or the music awards, or frankly extend it to other things like bike lanes or whatever else. Like there's always people who think that whatever else is being spent on is a complete waste of time. Does this not complicate the procedure? Cause now all the opponents are out in force. Well, that, that's the part of what we do as a council, uh, you know, everything that we're talking about, uh, you know, again, as a city council is how do we invest public tax dollars? And there there's, of course there's competing, um, the priorities for every single tax dollar that we end up spending. Um, but part of that process, and, and what I think is critical to the process, is to be able to have that debate publicly about, yes, that is a priority for us as a city, and this is how we're going to invest our dollars, and, and be able to articulate why. And I, and I think, you know, again, in terms of large events, you know, you can make that argument for the financial economic uh, uplift and the intangible benefits. Um, but without, you know, again, doing it right from the start, you know, it it cuts the public out of, out of that discussion. I know it's a slightly, well, not slightly, it's a different situation, but the city does do things like real estate transactions in private without disclosing necessarily what is being spent or telling the public ahead of time, how much they're going to spend to buy a property or do whatever, would there, do you see a difference there or should those kind of things also be out in the open? Should everything that the, that the public does, everything that city council does, as far as money be done transparently? Well, ultimately everything is reported on the public budget. So whether it's a real estate transaction, whether it's an event um, or anything that's done in camera, ultimately is, is on the, the city budget somewhere, uh, which is a public document. 
Um, obviously, there's there's sensitivity depending on what it is and the in the timing. Um, but again, when we're talking about substantial amounts of, of, of public money, um, it, it's part of the debate is is to have that discussion in in open. And you know, I, I think that's what we're talking about here. And to to have the discussion about also where that money goes. So, for example, if it's a uh, an event like the Grey Cup that's using a city facility, you know, there's more intrinsic benefit to the city because we're using uh, Tim Hortons Field, we're using city city uh, facilities. Um, but something like, for example, uh, the PGA Tour, where they're using a private facility, which is then getting paid a hosting fee, uh, hypothetically, you know, is that the best use of, of public money? So there's there's a whole lot of different bits and pieces to this. Um, that, in my opinion, anyway, needs to be part of the public discussion. And and I think just from a fundamental standpoint, if you were to ask people, did you know that we have to pay a substantial hosting fee to host these kinds of events? I think most people would think that they would be paying us to host their events and not the other way around. Hmm. Ward 8 Councillor John Paul Danko, I really appreciate the time today. Thanks for explaining. Thanks for having me on. It is uh, look. It is a uh, it is one of those controversial issues because you do as as the counselor just said, and I agree wholeheartedly. And I think I think most people would agree with him on this that you do want events in the city. You do want things to be here. You do want the Canadian Country Music Awards or the Juno Awards or the Canadian Open or the Grey Cup or the World Cycling. If you go back far enough or whatever else, you do like these things. They are things that bring value to this to the quality of life in the city i don't think that's the debate it it would be for some people it it would there will be those who will say no if you spend a dime on this that could go towards homeless shelters or whatever else and you'll never change an opinion on that one i i think that you can walk and chew gum at the same time but the issue is should the amount that the city is theoretically or talking about spending be out in the open beforehand. And even if you say yes, and I, again, I think a lot of people would say, yes, we should have transparency in this. The next question is, okay, but does that impact on the ability to host these events, to get these events? And and I don't know the answer to that one, quite honestly. I don't know if the city was to negotiate publicly with the amount of money, if the organizers of the events would say, we'll go find a different city. I don't know the answer. But it is, it is a position that, uh, it, it's one that's been talked about before, and I know it's not going to go away anytime soon. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You are probably aware by now, I don't know how you couldn't be aware based on the media coverage, that something like now 36,000 climate activists have gathered in Glasgow to save the world. At least that is the um, official position, I think, or semi-official position. But here, and and you know what, and you may be, and it's totally okay, and it's totally understandable, and it's totally agreeable. You may think that this is a great thing because we do need to save the earth and be more environmentally friendly and all the rest. That's totally fine. That's, you know, that, that is a, that's a position that you can take and that can be an honorable position to hold. However, I want to raise just a couple things about this. According to Blacklock's Reporter, which is an online publication that, covers what's going on in Parliament Hill in Ottawa. Canada sent to this, Canada sent a delegation 
of 277 people, in addition to a bunch of politicians and a bunch of advisors and everyone else, 17 press aides, the prime minister's official photographer and videographer, four CBC reporters and former politician, no longer politician, apparently, uh, apparently she's there. Uh, Catherine McKenna as a VIP. I want to bring in Stephen LeDrew. He is the former head, former president of the Liberal Party of Canada. He's a commentator, and I, I want to read his Twitter handle. Lawyer, broadcaster, believer in fairness and cla- classic liberalism, enemy of bureaucratic busybodies, woke idiots, and politically correct sanitized media outlets. <laughs> Sounds perfect, Stephen. <laughs> Good evening, Scott. Great Do we- Thank you very much. Do we need to fly 277 people to an event that is then going to tell the rest of us that we have to cut down on our carbon footprint by doing less of things like flying in airplanes? Well, it's, the hypocrisy is absolutely stunning, isn't it? Um, you know, that there are all these potentates and, uh, you know, just from small Canada, which is hardly mentioned in any of the announcements coming out of uh, Glasgow, and, um, you know, we sent over a huge Royal Air Force, um, you know, jet. It's the biggest one they had. Went over days in advance of the prime minister. Uh, the press asked, well, what's it going for? And there's no answers, of course. I don't know whether it took his, um, you know, his favorite hot tub or his, his special bathroom. I don't know. But, I mean, the excess, as you pointed out, the press aides, the photographers, and 280 people, some people going over for what? This all could have been done electronically. So these leaders are saying to average people, you have to cut down on emissions. We're going to raise the price of gasoline to someone who is a, a plumber or electrician going from site to site to site. They have to go from site to site. They have to just spend more on, electro- on, uh, on gasoline because of what Trudeau is saying. And yet Trudeau is spending a fortune on it. I mean, and also he announced no more. We're going to cut down on or limit the emissions from the industry in Glasgow. He didn't announce it in Canada. I mean, the the elites are all gathered to tell what the average person has to do, but they don't have to go by their own rules. No, and and death. look. Uh, again, I'm not arguing against the idea of a climate conference. I, I'm not against the idea of a climate conference, but we've just been through COVID where every single person, it seems, has learned to work from home or to do something electronically. And I, I've said it on this show before. I'm not even opposed to the prime minister or leaders of the other countries with a few advisors and some security details yep. to go over there and the rest join in electronically. I fail to see how we need to send almost 300 people to this. That's the part. In case anyone's missing this, this is not anti-environment. I just fail to see how this is not, as you just pointed out, a massive case of hypocrisy to do what we're telling you to do, but, you know, we don't have to actually do that because we're really important. Well, but, I mean, it, part of it is our prime minister. We all know he's the biggest hypocrite around, but it is does seem to be something with the world. I mean, President Biden was in Rome ahead of time. Eighty-five cars in his motorcade all flown in from the United States. The head of the European Union, very sanctimonious about climate change, she goes from Brussels to Paris via private jet. And uh, there are great train services in, uh, in Europe. Boris Johnson, Prime Minister of, uh, of Britain, went from London to Glasgow, where his conference was, again by private jet. It's 400 miles. 
and, and Britain is covered, slathered with uh, railway tracks. So do as I say, not as I do. As I said, the hypocrisy of it is crazy, and I agree with you. I mean, climate change has been here since the book of Genesis. It's always going to be here. We should cut down on pollution. But the other thing that did not come out of this conference, Scott, were any alternatives. Look at what else is an alternative to shutting down the oil and gas industry in Canada, which Trudeau seems to love to do. Because, you know, um, solar is not an alternative. Wind is not an alternative. Uh, Our new minister of the environment is not only against oil and gas, he's against nuclear. So none of these alternatives were looked at over there. It's just a big cocktail party for our prime minister to be with the royals and have a swooning time over in, in Europe. And now he's back. I mean, it's just... It's, it's stunning how, um, yeah. how our politicians treat people. Well, and what is infuriating to me about this, and I'm going to express it one more time, just be, in case anyone missed it somehow, I'm not against the climate conference, but it's how many of these 277 people are living on massive government paychecks with guaranteed big pensions who have drivers. So they, the ones who are making a lot of these decisions are not people who have to fill the tank of their car or heat their home or pay for that stuff. They're making decisions a lot of times without the context of how, what it costs and what it really impact, how it really impacts people. So we're going over there. We're having this great old time making decisions and people back here are paying the price that, that drives me nuts. Well, I mean, there's, there's uh, exactly what you said. And it's like the new royalty. Um, all these politicians over there, uh, huge amounts of money, and uh, just hammering the average person, hammering the average person, and they don't understand the impact of it, and almost we, we don't have any uh, recourse. The other thing, of course, that, um, that was, uh, was going on was the, uh, the excess there and the lineups. So we have people who can't work because either for one reason or another they're not vaccinated, I don't want to get the vaccines, but it's a big issue. And yet, if you saw the pictures, I'm sure you did, Scott, of the lineups over there to get in, everybody cheek by jowl, no, uh, no masks on, and, uh, and this is a time of COVID. Our prime minister goes up the steps to his jet with a mask on, and yet we see him in a bar in Glasgow um, with no mask on. <laughs> the hypocrisy well, is stunning. I- and Stephen, we saw photos of, I think there were 400 private jets that flew in. Yep. We saw photos from over there outside the conference centers of idling giant SUVs and limos because I guess they want the people want to be warm when they get in, when they come out. Um, we, 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 we hear that, you know, raising meat is really bad for the climate. And yet somewhere I saw this week that the menus from over there are primarily meat-based dishes, including hamburgers and stuff that they say are the worst things you could possibly do. It's just that if you are over there telling the world that it's a minute to midnight or whatever other thing you were going to say, and that if we don't change our ways, all the polar bears are going to die and all the cities in the world are going to be underwater. And then you do the exact opposite of the things you're saying are going to cause all this. Your message to me is entirely lost and entirely muddled. And it just entirely undercuts what you're saying is supposed to happen. Well, as I said, it's like the old royalty. They are the elites. They can do whatever they want, and, um, and clearly they do. And Canadians, um, you know, go along with it. I mean, we just re-elected uh, Justin to be prime minister again, and, um, you know, he goes off to Tofino for his holiday on a day of reconciliation that he named, 
Um, and, and really, in most of the press, radio is different, but in most of the press, not a word will be spoken about this, Scott. No one is saying today how terrible uh, what's going on over there, what they're doing, what they're eating, as you say, their cars warming up outside, staying warm, and, uh, and yet they are saying, the average person, you pay more for gas and oil, and you're going to work, you have no public transit, you have an old car, well, we're going to shut that car down, and you aren't going to be able to use that in a few years. It's, uh, it's unbelievable, and it's, it's, uh, it's good that, uh, that people understand what has gone on in uh, Glasgow and what is going on. And when the Prime Minister, well, he's back today, um, has, uh, has in line for, uh, for Canadians because um, I think it's a, it's a terrible situation and they aren't looking at alternatives. And, mm. and when you look at the fact that um, sm- some countries, I mean, St. Lucia, a Caribbean island, has a population of 200,000 people. It was there at this conference in Glasgow. The president and all his... Uh, People were there having a great time at a party. They don't care about heating. Canada is a cold country. <laughs> we are getting into winter. We, uh, we can't cut down too much on natural gas. No, and, and Stephen, we, we got to run. And, and the part we didn't even get to is 277 people. What the cost of this is going to be at a time when we're swimming in deficits, our debt is exploding, and they told us, oh, don't worry, because interest rates are low, so it's not going to be a problem. Yet with inflation, it's almost certain now interest rates are going to start going up, and that debt is going to be a problem soon, and yet we can still spend this kind of money on the government people who could have done this from home. Almost all of them could have done this from home. And Scott, we will never know. We will never know how much it costs, because this Prime Minister has disdain for Parliament, he ignores all the questions on the order paper. And so I'm sure the opposition's asking about it. We will never know the cost of this. He'll just say, no, screw you. It's, it's, it's a terrible situation. So it's a, I'm glad that you're bringing it up because people have to understand that Canadians are having their noses rubbed in the mud, in the cold mud. And our prime minister, he's having a pretty good life at everybody's expense. Stephen LeDrew. Always appreciate the time. Go look up his three-minute interviews. You can find them on YouTube and on his website. Stephen, always appreciate it. Thank you. Good to listen to you, Scott. Cheers. Uh, you know, I'm gonna, I've said it twice now, maybe three times. I'm going to say it one more time because somehow I know this is going to get muddied in the message. I am not against a climate conference. I am not against discussing the climate. I am not against having the world leaders together to discuss the climate. But you cannot convince me that the World Climate Conference could not have happened without 277 Canadians there in person. In fact, I would love more than anything else to get a list of these 277 Canadians and have every single one of them on the show and say, what was your contribution in Glasgow? What did you bring that you could not have done if you were not there? And you want to know something? I bet you save for maybe 10 or 12, there would not be an acceptable answer. Just a waste. But yet you and I are being told that we have to change our lifestyle, pay more at the pumps, pay more to heat our home, pay more for electricity, pay more for this, pay more for that. It's just infuriating. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let us bring in our good friend Bubba O'Neill from CHCH TV. Just got off the air, and a guy who I understand, I've heard only rumors, this being Movember, is working on growing out a Raleigh Fingers handlebar mustache for the end of the month on CHCH. True or not? 
Well, I mean, I've done like a kind of a. I mean, I wouldn't do the little spin at the end. That may be going. I, I'm unable to do that, but on the handlebar before that's you know that's not too. Crazy. I I think that look has <laughs> been lost in the mists of time and is due for a comeback. We need to have you know goatees became the thing for a while there, where everybody had one, and then beards. I think a handlebar mustache would be the the next thing we should try to bring back. I I, I actually think it's out there, you know, but just. You know, just maybe not in the TV sports world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's an under it's an underplayed fashion statement. Let us put it that way. Yeah. Uh, now, you know what? I, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today, and people probably heard this story already today, but <clears throat> they may not know that in the greater Hamilton area, I, maybe even in all of Southern Ontario, there is nobody who is more of a long-suffering but dedicated Buffalo Sabres fan than Bubba O'Neill. So today, today, when Jack Eichel, the superstar of the team, the guy who was picked after Connor McDavid, the allegedly one of the greatest players in the world, when he gets traded for basically a bag of magic beans by the look of it. Um, as a Sabres fan, do you go, I have optimism that, you know, this will work out, that these guys will turn into good players, or do you go, we're we're just starting over again? Well, I got to totally disagree with what your statement there about the, what they got in return. What they got, what they got in return was, I think, an outstanding package. Look, you're never... Anytime you trade a superstar player, and we saw that we'd say Vince Carter, which was, you know, a horrible deal in in terms yep. of return because nobody reported. But you, I mean, you're a young team building right now. Peyton Krebs, you're talking about, you know, a captain of Team Canada, outstanding first rounder uh, from a, a year ago. Uh, Alex Tuck was another first rounder. All of these guys with size forwards that you know can score. I think Krebs. I mean, your your Krebs is going to be one of those guys that we, we could be talking about for the next ten to fifteen years. Uh, and you also got another first round pick and a third round pick for you know for Eichel, who you know one he's not going to play for you anymore, and two. I think they've moved on from him for for from some point is at this point. So I think this is really the the best. I mean, I've heard I, some of the other deals that are coming certain to come out that have been pitched to them over the last year or two because he hasn't played, you know, since 2019. Um, but sorry, early in 2022, 2020, and and this is I think a very good deal. For, and remember, Eichel still needs to have this type of surgery, which is a very risky surgery that no one in hockey has ever had to you know basically take out a disc that has been pushing against a nerve ending in his in his in, in his neck very sensitive surgery so i think this is a good deal for the sabers i hope i i really hope you're right i really do i legitimately do because uh, we may not realize it around here because it's not that well promoted i guess or whatever but truly the buffalo sabers fan base is among the top two or three in all of hockey in the it's states, the best in the, in the United states. states, I hands down, it is right up there. And you look at and and we're not just this is not just us, but Bubba and I saying this like, hey, look, they're really excited when they're in the state in the stands. Their TV numbers, everything else, they are among the very very best in the states. They deserve mm-hmm. better than what they've been dealing with. And you know. uh yeah, I mean, I, I hope you're right. I hope you're. There's always that Sam Pollock, the former general manager of the Canadians. There's that statement that whoever gets the best player wins the trade. Uh, if that if that's true, and I think it is, Buffalo couldn't win this one 
what you said is also though really important. There is a chance and I don't, we don't want bad things to happen to people. We're not wishing bad things on people. There's a chance that Jack Eichel might never be the same player he was depending on the surgery. I expect he will, but there's a chance. This artificial disc replacement surgery um, has, like I said, remember, it, this has never been performed on an NHL player. And this was the surgery the Sabres were not interested in having. They were looking at something more con- uh, conventional. Jack and his people wanted to to try this because they I mean now it's his body and his health and I I've always believed that you know it's his body he could do whatever he wants so I was always okay I got a lot of respect for the guy doing what he wanted to do and standing by it I have no problems with that as a player here with the Sabers a very good player I still think he was I still think it's bit for him to go I don't think I think he was turning into one of the better centers in 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 all of hockey. Um, but remember that you know he didn't have a great talent around him. Now he's got much better talent. You know if he's healthy to play, I think it's, this is a win-win because, like I said, he wasn't playing for the Sabers. The Sabers weren't going to allow him to have this surgery. It's a complete impasse. Let's go our separate ways. The Sabers and I give Kevin Adams and the Sabers organization a tremendous amount of credit because they have we have seen teams backed into corners here that have said well, they'll just take whatever they can get. And they've waited this one out. And Vegas, who are a team that are interested in entertainment, they are interested in winning now, I think gave them a really good package. Is it a good package? It's a package that fits in with, with, with the Sabres and where they are right now in terms of really, I mean, hey, when you're, you know, we haven't made the playoffs for 10 straight years. I mean, you're going to get how many first-rounders? This is kind of akin to the Edmonton Oilers. Eventually, you're going to get good. And all at the yeah, same time. I, I, you know, one thing that's really interesting about this story, and it's been going on for a while now, is that uh, you've mentioned a couple times now where the Sabres didn't let Jack Eichel get this surgery that he wanted. And that was, in many corners, that was portrayed as... Um, the Sabres not being flexible, the Sabres not doing what their player wanted, the Sabres not looking out for their guy. They're paying him $10 million a year. Their franchise and their future, in a lot of ways, is riding on this guy. I I don't know about you, I had no problem with the Buffalo Sabres saying, no, we're not letting you get an experimental surgery. That's not in our best interest. If you want to sign a waiver, they never asked this as far as I know, but if you want to sign a waiver, that says, go ahead and get this, but if it doesn't work out, we're off the hook for that $10 bucks for the next five years, fine. But, the, you know, if you're going to be paying this kind of money and if you're going to be earning this kind of money, I do think the company has is allowed to have a say in this. And, and that's why I, that's why I respect which would happen because, like I said, I, I said earlier, I respect Jack and the fact and the fact that he said this is my body and I, I you know, this is a serious treatment and I want to have it done. I've done my research. My people have done their research, and we believe this is the best uh, way to go forward. And the team believed the opposite, so this was the best way to go. Hey, uh, this happens all the time in marriages. <laughs> we see this in sports sometimes. But uh, let's hope that it's you know that it, it was cordial. It does sound like I mean I've seen interviews now with both Jack Eichel uh, speaking to uh, Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet. He has no hard feelings. Wishes it could have could have been different. And the Sabers pretty much sound like from Kevin Adams, um, you know, belief too that you know what look no hard feelings. This is a this is a real complicated situation. 
And this is probably or is the best way to go about it. Let's part ways. Uh, want to talk, a couple other things I want to get to today. One of them is um, things are not pleasant right now in Edmonton. The Oilers are going great. The Oilers are fantastic right now. Mm-hmm. But the other team that's out there right now in the CFL, the Edmonton Elks, which first of all, I reiterate, stupidest name since Red Blacks ever to come into sports, but really be that as it may, just an atrocious year. And looking worse by the minute. And now, you know, the media out there is getting angry. The folks out there are getting angry. Are the Edmonton Elks of today as bad as the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the early 2000s that were not getting paid and that won one game and that one was in overtime? Or or are we still the holders of the title of worst ever CFL team? No, I no, Scott, I don't think it's... No. I mean, here's the thing, and this is why I think the comparison there is a tough comparison. You just said it there. The ownership had kind of run its course. It was, you know, there was, it, you know, it, it, the stadium was becoming run down. And thank God for Bob Young. I've said it a thousand times because, I mean, I don't know where this franchise would be without him. And he's a guardian angel that just basically had, didn't know much about running a football team, found a couple people that did know how to run a football team, and, you know, has kept this team afloat into being one of the better franchises we, you know, we have in the Canadian game right now. But at that time, the Tiger Cats were in trouble. The, the difference is, is that in, when you really look over the records over the years, the Tiger Cats have been kind of a 500 franchise, depending, depending on the ownership, right? Like yep. Overall, yep. whereas the Edmonton Elks slash Eskimos have, I think, been the model franchise, CFL franchise, going back to my childhood. They're regularly making appearances in Grey Cups. They had the yes. biggest stadium. They had Commonwealth Stadium. They have a respected fan base that understand Canadian football and 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 treat the team as such. The city of champions wasn't just that, always built on, on the exactly, Oilers. Exactly. Exactly. I was just going to say that, that people think that's because of the Oilers. That was a lot because of Warren Moon and those guys exactly. in the Edmonton Eskimos. A lot based on that. Absolutely. Exactly. Right? So the Oilers picked up on what the Eskimos laid down. Yes. The years yes. before, right? You said Warren Mood, uh, the Wilkinson, uh, um, Kelly, like somebody, uh, Lumsden. We could go on and on with the great teams that they had, right? So I think what's happening there is just way worse than whatever happened here in Hamilton. Because this, is a, this isn't supposed to happen in Edmonton, and it's not also supposed to happen in Calgary, right? Those are two places where this just can't happen. I mean, Dustin Nielsen, who called the uh, Elks and Tiger Cats game, said that he believes that when the game at kickoff, there might have been about 12,000 people, and when the Tiger Cats, I mean, opened up with like two touchdowns on two of their first three possessions, and then I think it opened up to like a 21-3 to lead before halftime, I think it's 70, by by his words, there was probably less than Mm 7,000 people there. In a 60,000-seat yeah. stadium, the Edmonton football, I, I, I wouldn't call them the Elks, the Edmonton franchise in the CFL. And this, they, and this weekend, uh, I can't remember who they host, it's their last opportunity to win a game at home. Imagine going, Edmonton going winless. Yep. No, I know. I the first place they got to start next year is by a, a redo of the naming because Elks is stupid and find something better. It can start with an E. There's there are thousands of words that of nouns guys. that start that with happening. E. I know, it's, I know it's, it's not, happening. but 
What a they, stupid it, name. It, anyway. it, it's more than the name, right? It's the general manager. Maybe it's the owner. I'm not close enough to the oh, situation. Oh, of course, of course. And, They're not losing because of the name. I'm just saying as a palate cleanser, let's start with a proper <laughs> name and then move on to all the other stuff. All right, we've got a few minutes left here. You mentioned Bob Young. You mentioned him and the things he's done well here. The other thing he's done in the city, well, uh, one other thing he's done in the city is he created a soccer league. He created Tr- uh, Hamilton uh, Forge FC. Forge FC had a huge game on Tuesday night, a historic game. They they qualified for the uh, CONCACAF League semifinal. No other team from this league has done this. It was enormous. And yet there were only just over 4,000 people there for this. And Baba, I... I look at this and I wonder to myself, this game was, you know, this was not a regular season, just everyday game. This was a significantly huge game. You got 4,000 people. Is this saying that there's not a market for this in this city? This is a tricky one, Scott, and 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 and, and you're right. Let's not also forget that they've qualified for Champions League, Concacaf Champions League next year, and they've also got reached down the semifinals of the Concacaf League. There's two different. It's separate a big items, deal, right? This is a big deal. This puts the Forge FC franchise in some stratosphere that I believe that just three years ago, when the CPL was developed, no one could have ever predicted that SCPL franchise would get this deep and get this far and represent themselves on an international basis with, I mean, they're way over 500. They're beating teams from all over Central and South America. No one could have predicted this. And you're right. It was a disappointing crowd there. Now, mind you, it was freezing that particular night. And you ask anyone that I know a couple people there, they said it was cold. But, I mean, these games are going to continue into November, so it's going to be even colder. I think, you know what, Scott, it's the weirdest thing. I hate to say this because you have people like yourself that write about the team and and Steve Milton, uh, Hall of Fame writer, myself on TV, uh, uh, Rick Zamperin on radio, talking about this team. Yet I do believe within the Hamilton and outside community, they just don't really know about this team. Okay, but why? Why then? Because you're right. It is covered. This is not a team that gets no coverage. This is a team that gets coverage. And I just look at this and I think to myself, if you're, maybe you just need more time, but if you're having an event like this, a game like this, of this magnitude, um, you know, three years into coming to Hamilton as an OHL team, by way of example, because the Bulldogs generally draw around that same 4,000 range for most games. Mm -hmm. But when they go to a big game, when they have a whole a family day game or a playoff day or, or a, family, a championship day, game, yeah. they get eight, nine, ten, eleven thousand. Yeah. Yep. I just don't understand what this message is sending about whether or not in this market, like we've seen before in Southern Ontario, if you're not the Premier League or the Bundesliga or Serie A or whatever else, you just don't matter. But we just saw, we just, like, what, two weeks ago, saw Canada play an international match with BMO Field standing room only. And uh, when, yep. when they won, the place was, I mean, I hadn't been so excited about a soccer game in at least a decade, right? A men's soccer team in at least a decade. It was insane that the flavor and the feeling and the nationalism and everyone talked about it on radio and television and newspapers. And, 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 and I can't, and I'm shocked that that fever about soccer, which is right now, again, the most played sport by children of, of ages 8 to 16. And 
there and in a community like Hamilton that has, you know, Portuguese, Italian, Croatian, Serb, like we could go on Canadian, we could go on and on that adore the sport of soccer. I don't know. Maybe this is maybe this is a Forge problem that they're not advertising enough. I don't want to point fingers here, but I when I discuss this with people about where Forge is, is sitting right now, they're like, uh, "Really? I never, I never, I." They don't even know, so I don't know what the answer is. I, the one, the one thing I wonder about is uh, you're right with the national team. It was a very big deal, and you've got TFC that's playing, and you go, you wonder if they've just got if they get buried in the market, but. Again, for a game like this, the soccer community, I, I, I will say this for the people in the soccer community, as much as any other sports community, they know what's going on in their sports community. They know you can talk to someone and they know what's going on in the Premier League and in all the other European leagues. Mm-hmm. It, you've, people who are really into soccer, they know what's going on. I find it hard to believe that the diehard soccer fans, and there are a lot of them, didn't know this so the question becomes why didn't why did people from toronto people from here go down the road to toronto why would diehard soccer fans from toronto for a big game like this not be interested in coming here i don't know the answer again i don't know the answer too but maybe maybe again the diehards the the the, was it the the barton street boys like they they all know about it um I, 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 I hate pointing fingers here, and we talk about international communities within our community here. Does the average white male follow soccer in this area? Are they wrapped up in hockey, the National Hockey League, and, and NFL and CFL and everything else, and they're just not aware of the CPL? Well, are they not, are they not that. aware that Hamilton are two times? We, this, this, the league has been here for two years, and the team that is in your own city are two-time defending North Star Shield champions. They're and even best. if you don't care, and, and my thing is, even if you don't care about the league, I thought that the international flavor would attract people. And to, to answer your question about the, the white males, look, whenever CHCH or the spec or whomever goes downtown during a World Cup game when Italy is playing or Portugal is playing, there's no shortage of those white male soccer fans who are in the bars or in the cafes who are celebrating or driving around honking their horns. So I don't think it's an absence of soccer fans in this area. I just don't know why they're not connecting with this particular team. And even if they're not connecting Bubba because they feel the league is below them somehow, I thought that an international game of this magnitude would get them out, but that didn't happen. It should happen because because I mean you've watched them. I've this is a it's a they're good. They're so good, right? They just took. I mean, that thought that they would play an MLS team like say like Montreal in the Canadian Championship, which they were in the semifinals uh, two weeks ago, right? It's it, let's be honest. They lost eight seven in an eleven round shootout against an MLS club. Right, which is a good MLS club, and so to me, you lose eight seven in an eleven round uh, shootout. That means your teams are pretty much playing even soccer. That you're you know. as good. You're as good as this North American league. That the top team in the CPL was just as good as a as a as a, a major league soccer team. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. You can see him tonight. As usual, 11 o'clock, you can catch the sports closer to 11.30 probably, but, you know, tune in at 11 and you'll, you'll catch what you need to catch. Appreciate you doing this. Thanks. Uh, always a pleasure, though, Scott. Thanks for having me. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.
The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.